You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Europol leads an international public-private takedown of Emotet. Four security companies describe their brushes with the compromised SolarWinds Orion supply chain. SolarGate is one of the issues U.S. President Biden raised on his first phone call with Russian President Putin. New vulnerabilities and threats are described. Our guest, Michael Hamilton of CI Security, questions how realistic CISA's latest guidance on agency forensics may be. Joe Kerrigan looks at bad guys taking advantage of Google Forms. And the Internet is back in business on the U.S. East Coast. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, January 27th, 2021. Europol this morning announced a takedown of Emotet, a cooperative operation in which Europol and Eurojust acted in concert with authorities in the Netherlands, Germany, the United States, the UK, France, Lithuania, Canada, and Ukraine took control of Emotet's infrastructure earlier this week. Ukraine's cyber police say that steps have been taken to detain persons suspected of running Emotet, and so by this time some arrests are either imminent or accomplished. Emotet has bounced back before, so it would be premature to call it as dead as Al Capone, but the operation will at least bring some respite from the malware. Team Kimri, one of the security companies that assisted with the takedown, emailed us some comments on this week's operation. Quote, It's important to note that only time will tell how long-lasting the takedown will be. The law enforcement, security vendor, and network operator communities will continue to track, monitor, and collaborate in the continuous effort to defend against these ever-evolving threats, end quote. That's a good counsel of prudence, and organizations would do well to keep their guard up. Still, any respite is welcome, and there's a good chance some of the perpetrators will be brought to justice. So bravo, Europol, and all of your international public and private sector partners. Those interested in whether their email address was among those found in Emotet's hall may consult a database the Dutch police have made available. 
The known extent of Solarigate continues to expand. Four security firms, Mimecast, Palo Alto Networks, Qualys, and Fidelis, have acknowledged that they had installed trojanized versions of SolarWinds' Orion application. Some of the disclosure was prompted by Netrasec's report Monday that identified 23 targets of what most observers regard as a Russian cyberespionage campaign. Of all of the compromises, Mimecasts seems the most worrisome, although it also seems to have been contained. The company said that a certificate it had issued turned out to have been compromised, but that its customers have been warned and provided new keys, the former compromised connection keys now having been disabled. Palo Alto Networks noticed suspicious behavior on two servers last autumn, stopped it, and retrospectively connected that behavior with the SolarWinds campaign. ZDNet reports that Qualys says that only an isolated test system was affected. Fidelis also said that a test system had downloaded a trojanized version of Orion, but that the company is still investigating the possibility that there may have been some further compromise. On Tuesday, U.S. President Biden made his first official call to Russian President Putin. Defense One reports that President Biden brought up Russian complicity in Solarigate. Russian statements characterized the call as open and businesslike. The Wall Street Journal quotes Russian sources as emphasizing President Putin's interest in normalizing ties between the two countries. Russia has categorically denied any involvement in Solarigate, and Moscow didn't mention it in their public statements about the chat between the two heads of state. There are several new reports of vulnerabilities or malicious activity. To take the vulnerability first, security firm Qualys warns of a heap overflow vulnerability they've found in the widely used Unix and Linux utility sudo. They've given it the voodoo-inspired name of Baron Samadit, in an apparent allusion to Baron Samdi, the Lao of the Dead, only giving their Baron vulnerability a final T in its name. The pseudo utility allows users to run programs with the security privileges of another user, and Qualys has concluded that Baron Samadit has been hiding in plain sight for a number of years. Qualys disclosed their discovery to pseudo's author and open source distributors before making it public, and fixes should be available. Qualys recommends patching as soon as possible. Researchers at RiskIQ describe a phishing kit they're calling LogoKit, which they assess as having been developed and deployed with an eye to simplicity of deployment and range of targeting. They've found some 700 sites hosting LogoKit over the past 30 days. LogoKit's simplicity is said to make it easy for criminals to compromise sites. RiskIQ describes its operation as follows, quote, a victim is sent a specially crafted URL containing their email address. Once a victim navigates to the URL, LogoKit fetches the company logo from a third-party service, such as Clearbit or Google's Favicon database. The victim email is also auto-filled into the email or username field, tricking victims into feeling like they have previously logged into the site. Should a victim enter their password, LogoKit performs an AJAX request, sending the target's email and password to an external source, and finally, redirecting the user to their corporate website. End quote. Late yesterday, Proofpoint announced that its researchers had found a new version of DanaBot active in the wild. DanaBot is a modular malware that's been traded in the criminal-to-criminal underground market since 2018, but whose usage fell off last summer. Now it's returning. 
the banking malware seems now bent on regaining lost market share. AT&T Alien Labs has been tracking the Team TNT threat actor, and they've found that the group is now using a new detection evasion tool that they've evidently copied from open-source repositories. Team TNT is best known for its cryptojacking. They're now using the Lib Process Hider tool to hide from process information programs. Alien Labs thinks it would be worth a security team's while to keep an eye out for Lib Process Hider and to regard it as an indication that Team TNT may be active in their systems. And finally, if you're on the U.S. East Coast, did you notice some connectivity issues yesterday? We did. Verizon experienced an outage that disrupted internet connectivity in the northeastern U.S. for a couple of hours yesterday, The Verge and others report. Service was substantially restored yesterday afternoon. The cause remains under investigation, but not every outage is a cyber attack. This one, according to WRAL, seems to have been an issue, not an attack. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. In the aftermath of the SolarWinds Orion software breach, CISA gave marching orders to federal agencies, requiring that they conduct a forensic analysis by the end of the month. Michael Hamilton is former vice chair for the DHS Coordinating Council, former CISO of Seattle, and currently CISO of incident response firm CI Security. I spoke with him about whether or not CISA's guidance is realistic. Well, the... The solar winds events, which I guess we'll just call it that, as as the the covers are peeled back from that, we're finding that there are more and more compromised pieces of software that are used in federal agencies, 
and there have been multiple tools used to gain persistence that are outside the initial compromise. And so it's going to take a bit of a deep cleaning. You know, some of the recommendations that we all saw, you know, you need to nuke from orbit and start over. You know, (laughs) well, short of that, you know, (laughs) which is going to be an expensive and lengthy undertaking. Well, so the the Cybersecurity Infrastructure and Security Agency uh, sent out some some guidance for these organizations. And one of the things that they've given them is a deadline to do what, what they call a forensic analysis. What are your thoughts on that? Well, if, um, if their definition of forensic analysis is the same as mine, I just don't see any way that they can complete a body of work like that by the deadline that they set. The human resources required to do that and the technology footprint required to do that is substantial. So, you know, the federal government has a lot of resources, um, you know, and they can, they can go out and hire contractors to do this. But let's remember, even the contractors, all of these resources are in such short supply. And I can tell you with a good deal of authority that, you know, based on what's happening here in my company, the phone's ringing off the hook with incidents that need to be cleaned up. And so the practitioners that do this kind of work are in even shorter supply right now. So, you know, it's, I, I won't say it's impossible. I will, I will say that there's maybe a, a definitional difference. You know, when they're talking about doing forensics, they may be talking about going through and searching deeply for indicators of compromise. I don't think they mean uh, creating uh, legally defensible forensic images that are moved around with chain of custody paperwork and then exposed to a deep forensic analysis. I just don't think they mean that. Um, because if they do, there is no chance they will get this done by the end of the month. How would you come at this? I mean, do, what are your thoughts on a, a, a practical, possible way to to come at a problem like this? Well, I think what they're doing is is the right thing. Um, again, you know, definitionally, we're not entirely sure what they mean there. Uh, but while they go through a process of, let's just call it deep cleaning, and there's a variety of ways to do that, all the way from scanning with a tool that's not the same as your regular endpoint security tool to see if there's something that it missed, you know, all the way to, uh, you know, flatten and re-image. So while that process is going on, because that is the process, um, implementing compensating controls uh, around the network to make sure that, for example, if your preventive controls lapsed and let this in the environment, your detective controls, your monitoring should be way tuned up to make sure that any aberrational behavior, especially aberrational behaviors that map to known behavior of these you know, pieces of malware, um, that needs to get tooled way up as they go through this process. So they have not only a way to do this deep cleaning, but a way in the interim to be watching the network to make sure that they can identify anything that starts to look weird and then focus on that, prioritize that. So that that would be the way I would go about it. That's Michael Hamilton from CI Security. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting story from the folks over at Proofpoint. Uh, they did some research that they published on their blog. It's titled BEC Target Selection Using Google Forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some interesting stuff going on here. What, what can you describe for us here, Joe? It is interesting, Dave. It's uh, Actually, this ties in nicely with the uh, last week's episode of Hacking Humans, where we had our, our guests talking about this exact same kind of thing. These hmm. uh, The folks at Proofpoint have found a campaign uh, where people are using uh, Gmail and Google Forms in tandem, and they're using these to bypass uh, their email security content filters based on keywords. Hmm. And what they do is they send emails in. And what's interesting is they're not sending emails from a spoofed name. They're just it's just the email address in the name. It doesn't have any uh, any name associated with it, like you can do with a with a with a Gmail address. But they're putting that name, the name of the C level suite of the target organization, in the subject line, hmm. right? And then it's it's a typical uh, typical almost like a gift card scam. The way it's opening up with a very short uh, thing. Hey, I'm going into a meeting and I need your help, right? And that's, uh, okay. that's the end of the discussion. But the idea is to get people to respond back to that. And then then they send a link to a form. It's a Google form. And it's just an empty form. There's nothing set up on it. And hmm. they're trying to get people to interact and say, uh, maybe even submit the form, the empty form as it is. And Proofpoint is speculating that the reason these, these actors are doing this is because they're trying to select who they're going to send business email compromise phishing emails to so they can get their credentials. Hmm. Because if I send you an, an email uh, impersonating a, someone from your C-suite and it's not from a recognized email address, I don't even spoof the person's name, I just put it in the in the subject line and you click on the form link I send you and you fill out a blank form, you're probably a prime candidate for clicking on links and emails. Right, right. Right? So, right. I mean, this is this is a really astute observation, I think. And and what's interesting is that they're using these these existing services to uh, to get around all the filters that are out there. Where there there are filters that these companies pay thousands of dollars a year to use, and this just bypasses all of them. Because the the stuff because everything here is coming from Google, right? Who is a legit entity? Yep, absolutely. Hmm. Now, when you go to the Google form, is that how, do, can they tell that it was you that went to the Google form? Is that how they're tr- tracing it back to you? You know, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a Google forms user. 
Um, I mean, I, I could be, I have a Google account, uh, but I did, I did some quick research and I can't find a definitive answer that says, yes, you can tell, uh, that this person went to the form or loaded the form, but you can certainly tell when they submit the form, you can get that information from them. And if you go through the trouble of building a form for each person that you send an email to, then you can easily tie those two together, the form submission and the, uh, and the email address. No problem. Yeah. You can put uh, images on the form. If you can, if you can put an image on the form, you can track that image uh, using a, another web service. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's interesting how these are more and more they're multi-tiered. You know, we've yes. got to got to put some uh, the first level of bait out there to see who's susceptible to that, and then once we get that group of people <laughs> who've right. proven themselves. Uh, susceptible to this to this first level, then we will then we know who to really spend our time, attention, and resources on. Exactly, this is very much like the Nigerian prince scams, right? The Nigerian prince scams are ridiculous and far fetched, uh, and 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 as well as the benefactor scams, there are a lot of scams out there that are just so ridiculous and far fetched that they're they're engineered to be that way, so that the people that respond to them are the people that are more likely to be. Uh, susceptible to believing it, uh, mm-hmm. and you can lead them along. In other words, I don't want to use the word dumb, right? Uh, but if you're if you're the kind of person that responds to an email from a Nigerian prince, you're also the kind of person who sends money to someone you don't know, right? <laughs> right. There's a right, higher probability right. of that. Um, so right. this is the same kind of the same kind of research. These guys are honing their craft, and you and I have watched this evolve over the past what six years, seven years. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But these guys are these guys are part of the sales organization. I like to make the the business analogy because these these operations are run like businesses. And these guys are taking these are the lead generation. These guys are taking the the vast list of emails from a company and they're condensing it down to the people who are most likely to respond to the next step in the sales chain. Mm-hmm. And they're going to pass yeah. that information on to the next group of people. Yeah. Yeah, well, again, it's an interesting uh, bit of research here from the folks over at Proofpoint. So if you want to uh, get the details, you can head over to their website and check out the blog there. Uh, Yeah, interesting development for sure. All right. Well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Sock it to me. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Guru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
Hi, everybody. It's Maria Varmazas here, your host over at T-Minus Space Daily, and sometimes a guest on Hacking Humans, too. We here at N2K CyberWire work hard to bring you concise, intelligence-driven news and commentary, and we'd like to know how we're doing. Please take a few minutes to complete our audience survey and share your feedback to help us continue to grow and meet your needs. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to get started. Thanks so much for your input as we reach for the stars. It means the universe to us. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 